0: to the Great British Drafting Show, an exclusive off-season series where we'll be taking a look every week at the 2020 NFL Draft and how the Panthers might approach it. Uh, We are part of the right network, which is powered by Carolina. That's all the Panthers podcasts you could possibly want, all in one place. Uh, If you do enjoy the show this week, uh, please do be sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. So it makes it easier for other Panthers fans to find and enjoy the show. Uh, my name's Ollie. I'm one of the leaders of the Royal right here in the UK, and I'll be your host right up to the draft. Uh, thankfully, though, I am joined by none other than our draft guru, Mr. Vincent Richardson. Um, how you doing, mate? How's how's uh, quarantine life going for you?
1: Uh, quarantine life is not too bad. My actual like actual quarantine is is nearly over, so I'll be allowed to go to the shops in about three days. But yeah, it, it's. Yeah, it's, it's it's getting quite tiring, I must say, but it's not too bad. How how, how is it for you?
0: Uh, yeah, not too bad. So trying to um trying to avoid TV as much as possible because it's, it's it's easy just to sort of sit in front of the TV and I think we do end up having weeks and weeks and weeks of this. I might complete Netflix. I'm just not sure I really <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, trying to keep myself busy with other stuff and like try and do some exercise around the house and yeah, yeah just just trying to follow the, the guidelines really and and sort of not making any unnecessary trips out and um you know, washing my hands 300 yeah. times a day and all that good stuff so trying to be sensible and, and try to keep the, the the time that we are spending as interesting as possible which these podcasts hopefully are going to help to do as well yes hopefully stuff so um this week we're going to be looking at the whole of the offensive line so we're we'll covering guard tackle and center and um, before we get into the draft though let's have a bit of a talk about the skill sets needed in general uh, across the o-line obviously as we go through each specific position we'll delve into the differences between each position on the line um, but let's kick this a bit more of a general overview of, of what you look for uh, across the O-line?
1: Okay, so I think that everything in the offensive line in terms of it can be sort of split into obviously run blocking and pass protection. Um, I think in terms of pass protection, for most, it varies between positions obviously, but the core is the ability to cover space laterally. And obviously that's very different between tackle and centre, say, but you need to be able to not just be run around right or left. Um, the issue you see in a lot of prospects is that in order to get that lateral speed, they sacrifice things technically, either balance, lean, hand usage, all kind of things. So what you want to see is you want to be able to see them cover space laterally whilst also keeping their technique in place. And what that means is you want to see good knee bends. So you don't want them to just be standing vertically upright because that makes it really hard to counter power. You want to, also makes it very hard to twist laterally. So it makes it quite hard to control blocks. Um, uh, you also want to see, um, good weight distribution between the feet so you don't have all the weight loaded onto the back leg particularly for tackles um, because that also creates difficulties in in reacting laterally Um, and you also want to see uh, good hand usage so you want to see arms sort of inside the frame of the body with hands out in front of them because quite often what you see is in order to keep their balance on the move players widen their arms like you would do if you were trying to balance on a tight rope rope, and um, that makes it very easy for, for defenders to get into their frame in terms of the run blocking, it's kind of similar. You just don't have as much of an emphasis on the lateral movement and probably a greater emphasis on the hand usage, because here you're not just looking to not get beat, you're looking to actively control a, 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 a defender. Obviously different schemes have different um, van, um, put, place different uh, levels of importance between like controlling blocks versus creating push. So like in some schemes you need to have the power to move people, particularly inside. Uh, whereas in others, you just need to sort of be able to make your block and not get beat. And actually the scheme will create the the, the running lanes. But it, it is it's there's a reasonable emphasis on, on athleticism, if only because if you don't have the athleticism, you end up having to sacrifice technique to mimic the athleticism. And that creates even bigger problems. Like most most plays don't get blown up because the offensive linesman didn't have the athleticism. Most of them it's because they were technically poor. But the, the worse athlete you are, the harder it is to be technically correct and still do the job you're asked to do. So it's it's a balance of like the core athletic skills. But offensive line is a lot about technique.
0: OK, so as I said, we'll we'll go through the, the three different um, positions across the line and delve into the nuances of those as we go through. Um, but let's get into the draft then. Um, how good overall
1: is the offensive line class this year so I think it's probably on balance it's probably in the middle somewhere so it varies quite a bit between the positions and in terms of like whether you are looking at top talent or throughout so I think the the guard class is quite weak um, and it's not just weak at the top I don't think it's hugely deep in sort of the mid rounds either it's not a particularly good guard class it is quite a good centre class uh, i would say not sort of exceptional there's no sort of absolute standouts in centre i don't think but i think it is quite a strong centre class and at tackle you've kind of got two tiers you've got sort of a handful of like people who are almost certainly going to be gone in the top 40 picks possibly the top 10 picks and then you've probably got a bit of a gap then towards more developmental or um, limited players. I think it's quite a, t- a deep tackle class in many ways but there's kind of a gap between the top guys and then the sort of the depth not not depth players in terms of their role on a, on a, on a team but, but they're, they're not going to be um, surefire day one starter type players. So there's there's sort of a gap between the top, for me, the top three and the rest. There's a gap, but it is quite deep. There's just going to be, you know, if you're looking to drop tackle early in the, in the in the second round or in the middle of the second round, there probably aren't going to be many players who feel like good value there. But when you get into the third round, there's going to be players with good value. And in the first round, there are probably going to be players with good value. There's just it's really not a lot of people in that sort of like middle category at tackle. But otherwise, it's quite a deep class. And then guard center are more mixed, I think. Okay, so
0: before we do just dive into the
1: board, just just quickly, I know on on
0: previous podcasts you've talked about, um, certainly from the smaller schools, you've got players who use their athleticism to to just because they're just more athletic than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they can excel in certain positions. Coming out of college, then, if you're talking about the O line, is is the transition from college to, to the NFL really about honing those, that, that technique that you mentioned uh, about what's so important about the O-line then? Is that, is that where they really struggle? Is it not so much about perhaps the size that they are and, and the, the need to bulk up and get bigger? Is it more about the technique or is it as always a little bit of everything?
1: Um, I think it, it, it's probably generally about the technique, but that's I think also partly due to the way that the NFL selects players. That that um, technically competent but athletically limited players from small schools, generally at, ta- at the offensive line at least, don't tend to get a ton of love. There, the, the way the, the the thing that will stand out for an offensive linesman, if you're looking at a small school, unless you're really closely watching them, is the athleticism. Like if someone, you know. Uh, you, there aren't many great uh, examples this year but like Titus Howard uh, last year came out of um, Alabama State I think and also uh, the um, Turon Armstead who went to the Saints I can't remember where he went to I think it was Southeast Louisiana but I might be wrong on that um, th- they're both guys who sort of athletically look the part and actually will kind of figure out the, the technique later uh, I, I think Armstead was a much better technician than than, than, than Howard but that's kind of by the by but yeah i I think i think generally it's technique but that's partly as a result of of the players who get picked whereas the kind of the the the, there'll be players who come from big schools who are technically pretty proficient but aren't that athletic and end up being like backup centers and just the small school guys who are fairly similar probably don't get the same chances so yeah it probably in terms of the players who are on nfl radars it probably is more about developing technique in the pros cool okay let's
0: get into the board then. Um, We'll start to tackle and then move on to the garden centre shortly. Um, But we're gonna split these guys out into groups um, and we'll start with your top three. So you've got Tristan Worth, Josh Jones and Jedrick Willis as your top three. Yeah. Um, What is it that sets these guys apart and are there any clear gaps between them or are they all sort of quite evenly spread
1: apart? Um, So I think they're quite close together in terms of grade. Um, I think what I, it's more about what you want in terms of short-term versus long-term and how important playing left tackle is. So Jedrick Wills um, is probably the most pro-ready tackle in this class. Um, and if you wanted a plug-and-play right tackle, he would be a very, you know, probably quite inexpensive plug-and-play right tackle because he's probably going to go to the top 10, certainly the top 15. But he is technically really pretty proficient Um uh, does does have some limitations, but those limitations are generally more to do with the fact that he he doesn't have the upper tiers of athleticism and that then shows up in technique at times. So for example, he he's really quite technically well rounded, but against the better speed rushers, he does sometimes sacrifice things like his arm position gets quite wide when he's facing speed rushes, but that's 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 a that's I think that's something you can fix. I think that's the fact that he has to sacrifice something to, to, to generate the speed. Um, you know, he's not perfect. But I think if if you wanted a, a, a an immediate impact tackle who maybe doesn't have the upper, upper tiers of, of upside and maybe can play left tackle, but maybe isn't going to be like an elite, elite left tackle. I think he's probably the, the safest tackle pick. Jones and Worths are more um, upside focused. I, I think Worths probably is the best tackle in this class for me. I think he's both slightly higher upside than Jones and, and, and also probably uh, technically more proficient right now. But I think both of them have the ability to play a left tackle down the line. Um, Certainly worth does. I, I think Jones might be right on the limit of being, you know, obviously all these guys can play left tackle It's whether you'd rather have them as a, an excellent right tackle or a good left tackle is kind of the buy-off sometimes. But I think both Jones and Worths are, are really good athletes and show enough technically that you're, um, you, you have faith in them, them succeeding. Um, Worth's the biggest issue is really just pad level, and even then it's more inconsistent than it is just consistently. You know, it's not a consistent every snap issue. It's just not good enough play in play out. Um, so I think for me he is the, the best tackle in this class. Um, Jones, there are more, there are there are more things to work on, and I don't think he's quite as good, but I think he. He probably isn't going to get drafted quite as high as the other two either. So it, it's for those three, it's more a balance of like how how important the ceiling is and how important the floor is, and whether you need them to be a left tackle, or whether you're happy with them just being a good right tackle. So they're all in the same grouping for me, but but it's it, it's more about stylistic differences rather than necessarily one being way better than the other. Though personally, I would say Werfs would be the one I would choose if I had the choice of all three. Cool.
0: So Apologies if there was uh, any interference and the signal there um we are obviously recording this uh, remotely um and the world is on netflix right now so <laughs> we, we may cut in and out from time to time so apologies if you did miss some of that um, one thing that that, that i noticed is, is you're talking a lot about the difference between um right tackle and left tackle and and you know clearly i think most of us know why one's more important than the other but is, is it just literally
1: ability as to as to who plays where or is there actually a difference in the skill set that's needed um it's it's largely ability but that often manifests in the skill set so so ultimately i think it's maybe sometimes more overblown than it than it needs to be but um yeah it's one of those things where if 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 you you generally want your better pass protector on the left side um and so that generally is, is the more valuable player because basically pass protection is more important than run blocking very loosely. And so it is about skill set, but that is also effectively talent level. They're just one talent is more important than the other in both right tackle and left tackles. But but because the left tackle is more important, it's even more focused there.
0: OK, so in, in terms of um, tackle, then, in, in general, I and mean, you, you gave us an overview of, of the offensive line and the skill sets that are needed. What about at tackle? What, where is this where's the nuance at tackle that is differing
1: from, from guard and centre? So I think the thing with tackle is there is, there is far more pressure on lateral agility Um, because you're having to cover a much larger space and you need, you know, tackle is essentially, you you have to cover from the outside of the guard all the way around, potentially, depending on the play. Like if the quarterback's taking a seven step drop, you've got a, a huge amount of space you need to cover. So you have this real need to have, The foot speed, the rest of the technique is very, very similar. I mean, it's it's slightly different because you have to move backwards more, whereas in guard you're quite often just working laterally, um, or at least largely working laterally. The the, the actual, like, physical way you you shape your legs and stuff is different because you have to move both backwards and sideways at the same time. But but essentially it's it's just the upper body is basically the same. It's the lower body that gets put under a lot more pressure at tackle. Um, And the way that most commonly manifests is players having, it's about the way they load weight is the thing that quite often um, impacts tackles a lot. So if, quite often what happens, if players are really pushed for for lateral speed, they end up basically pushing off their inside leg onto their back leg. And what that means is it loads all their weight onto their back leg. That makes them hugely vulnerable inside because because if all your weight is already on your back leg, if you then have to drive off your back leg, you just don't have the ability to react inside. So it's, it's a mixture of um foot speed but then how that foot speed impacts your technique is kind of what separates tackle from garden center because it, it it does just place so much more pressure on your lower body
0: okay cool well, let's um take your your next three um picks then you've got um Ezra Cleveland Andrew Thomas and Matt Pitt yeah are, th- are these guys quite way off your, your top three or is it again kind of Fairly
1: close, but you're just kind of missing out for one or two issues. No, I think there's a there's a there's a fair gap between um, the top three and these next three. I think I think I have second somewhere between like high second and sort of mid second round grades on the top three, um, whereas I think I have fourth round grades on these next three. Um, and, and again, these three are different inside themselves in terms of ceiling and floor. I mean, Andrew Thomas has got quite a lot of love. I mean, he's fallen down boards a little bit, like he was once, in his, like a top ten pick, and he does do a lot of things well. Um but I, there are there are technical things that that consistently concern me on him on tape. um I think his arms um are quite wide generally, um which makes it quite hard for him to to control blocks. I also just think his knee bend is really poor quite a lot of the time, um, and that then creates issues in terms of weight loading and controlling blocks and stuff like he plays very upright um and and like really noticeably so. um I think he probably is I thought he's probably his value is more in that he can be a competent tackle in immediately like I don't I'm not sure unless you can do a lot of technical work on him I'm not sure how how high his ceiling is I don't think he'll ever be an elite tackle um his foot speed is pretty good like athletically he's pretty good but his technique is is far enough from being good that I think it, if he hasn't got to certain stages yet, particularly given that he's coming from a big SEC school that's produced some fairly good offensive linemen in the past, I would be a little bit concerned how likely he ever is to fix those things. But, you know, you, you never know. And that's what interviews would have been quite useful for if teams managed to get an interview in before before everything shut down. Um, but but yeah, he, he's he's one of the bigger names who I'm maybe a bit more cautious about um Ezra Cleveland I think tested insanely in the combine and I think that sort of alerted people about that actually his tape is pretty good um he isn't the most powerful guy like he 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 does need to add some 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 weight in the NFL probably and he's he's never going to be if, if you want to down if you have a downhill running scheme he just doesn't fit at all he, he's much more about control about footwork and about um about technique so he his foot speed is probably good not good great like i think he probably would be better playing at right tackle say um but but he he's technically he's really really nicely well-rounded um but but just what isn't isn't athletically isn't in that top tier of guys he's kind of in the the uh technically really nicely well-rounded player but but again the ceiling isn't quite there so those two guys are more sort of short-term good long-term maybe not great the other sort of the flips of that is pert who athletically very much looks the part has good power that flashes really nice foot speed all kinds of, of 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 really nice stuff in terms of you know you see plays where it all comes together and he looks like a an nfl uh, left tackle however just technically needs to be far more consistent pad level in particular is really quite poor and that has knock-on effects and other things mm-hmm. in terms of it, uh, his ability to do with power but also um how he his, his hip flex is quite limited but that, he's quite upright so he can't really open his hips very much so he struggles to change direction uh when controlling blocks like yeah so he's he's more of the i probably think late day two maybe early day three if you're looking for like a a developmental tackle who you're not going to play in the short term, but, but is 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 maybe with a year's work, you know, coming out of a relatively small school in Connecticut has a chance to be, to be uh, a better tackle than than Thomas in Cleveland, even if he's not someone who can help you right away.
0: So you've got another few guys that you, you want to talk about. And I think, you know, are these going to be sort of developmental guys that uh, have got that sort of, High upside and, and they are going to be taken quite late on, um, being um,
1: Hakim uh, Adeniji, Austin Jackson, and Mechi Becton. Yeah, so I think they're all more focused on upside than they are short-term impact. Um, Becton is someone who's got like some first-round love, partly because he is absolutely enormous and yet ran pretty quick at the combine. And and you know don't be wrong, there is a lot of stuff to like with him on tape, like he. His hand usage is actually pretty good. He just moves. He's just so powerful. Um, and actually, his foot speed isn't bad at all. The issue is he just doesn't bend his knees very much. Um, and that creates all kinds of issues in terms of weight loading. His base is really narrow, which makes it quite hard for him to control blocks. And actually, his power gets negated at times by the fact that he is so upright. Um, for someone who's so long, his arms stay far too close to his body, um, what, like in terms of elbows towards his stomach. But then his arms in power protection get wide at times. Um, and I think if you want, um, if, if, if you want to play in space, he does not move very well in space. But, but I think the biggest thing as well is that when, when he encountered like upper tier speed rushers, like when, when he was, when he lost the speed battle, his technique just went completely out the window and just completely broke down. So I think he, in a way he's not dissimilar to, um, the guy who came out of Oklahoma who went to the Ravens, whose name I've forgotten, uh, in the third round a couple of years ago. Um, uh, in that there are the, who again who is a taller tackle with loads of power and they they their their technique is is not bad but you just need to fix the lower body quite significantly and the, uh, the guy whose name I'm completely blanking on is actually worked it out and actually now looks like quite a good tackle but I think Beckton if you don't if he doesn't make any improvements I think he's he's not going to be very good at all. But if he does make improvements, could be very good. But I think he's more of a, a real swing from the heels type type prospect than I think some are, are, are giving him credit for. And Aniji is an interesting one um, in that he, he got a lot more love as a, as a senior than he did beforehand. But his actual, his foot speed is really, really quite nice. Uh, his weight distribution is pretty good. Uh, pad level, all, all, all like the things that quite often you see are wrong with smaller school prospects, he does well. Um, however, he, 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 the, the, the details of his play need quite a lot of work. Um, like he, he he just looks quite frenetic at times, like he makes a lot of quick movements, but could do with kind of making fewer movements but then being more effective. He looks a little bit out of control, not in that he's being he's being put out of control, but he kind of puts himself out of control. His feet are, are quick but but are very frenetic in his arms quite often are, are all over the place. Even if they're not they're not ineffective, but he just needs to tighten up his technique and be more consistent in what he's doing. The really interesting one is austin jackson who is clearly athletic on tape you can see his foot speed you can see um his ability to open his hips he he, he, he bends well his power is not terrible um but just technically is all over the place i mean it, you know he is someone that you draft and you effectively rebuild from scratch because his technique just needs a complete reworking but the talent is clearly there um that if you do fix his technique you can have quite a good tackle but he's neither so athletic that he's going to get taken in the first couple of days just because of that and his technique is poor enough that I, I would be cautious about taking him higher than probably early day three but but someone could end up with a good tackle if they can fix him and you know for these kind of players who are of the more developmental type understanding how coachable they are is crucial because effectively their value is in is is all tied up in their ability to get better and so you have to trust that they're people you can teach and if you interview them and you think this is just someone who doesn't get it and i can't teach and isn't going to get better they have almost no value because regardless of how athletic they are if they can't do the basic things consistently well technically it's really hard to put them on the field
0: Mm -hmm. so i'm just going to pull you up on something you said previously how nfl teams think they're a lot better at developing than they are Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Yes, well, I, I can see that an NFL team you know, would think that and, and they would take a punt on, on one of these guys because they think they can improve them, and I'm assuming what you've said previously, that you're therefore quite sceptical about their ability to actually do that and improve them.
1: Yeah, it's not that I don't think they can, it's just I think they do so less often than they think they do and that players, they probably tend, I think the NFL has a tendency to overdraft players who could be good but probably won't be compared to players who will never be great, but are almost certainly going to be pretty decent. And uh, that, you know, a good example of that is say like Ezra Cleveland versus um, Neki Becton. Nekhi Becton is probably going to go at least a round earlier than Ezra Cleveland. And if, you know, and if Nekhi Becton works it out, he will be a distinctly better player than Ezra Cleveland. But I think the NFL has got the balance wrong between how much better Becton will be if he works and how likely he is to work and obviously it's not a science you can't sort of you know work it out exactly but but I do think the NFL definitely has a tendency to to overvalue upside because it thinks it can get close to it whereas in reality often the the floor is much closer to what you end up working with okay
0: cool so before we move on is there anyone else at at tackle that you'd like to um, cover off I almost yeah. said I'd like to tackle there before
1: we move <laughs> to too awful to a- <laughs> um, Yeah, I think I'd like to talk like Danny Pinter very quickly. Um, so Pinter played tight end for his first, well, first two seasons and red shirt um, at Ball State and then moved to tackle. Um, and he's actually really pretty good. Like, you know, he's not the world's greatest athlete, but he's a pretty good athlete and particularly in terms of his foot speed and stuff. And is technically far better than you would expect someone who's played tackle for two years at a relatively small school to be. Um, I think the interesting thing with him is so he is on the smaller side for a tackle. So he is of all the people I've got on my tackle board. He's the own. He's one of two who are under um, uh, six foot five. Um, And he's not although he's not like really short limbed. He's not sort of got the the long arms and and the long frame you'd expect of a tackle. And that probably will have some issues like he he will be limited by that time so there's been some talk of moving him inside to guard but i think actually i would almost be i've got him on my tackle board because i think he can play tackle but I, if you're going to move him inside i would actually be more interested in seeing him play center um because i don't think he's got the, he's not the most powerful guy and so i don't think he's ever going to be moving people in the run game but he he's technically really quite nice and moves quite well and i think particularly if you're looking for someone to take late in the draft as a real long shot development guy. I think as someone who the worst case scenario is that he's a decent backup swing tackle. If, if you're going to drop someone who's a decent backup swing tackle, you might as well have a guy who potentially you have some some ability to move to, to centre and could be quite good there. You know, Given how quickly he picked up tackle, it would be interesting to see how well he'd pick up playing centre. Um, and I know this is sort of a little bit of a tangent, but I think he's... He's somebody who would be a really interesting pick for a team late on day three, just because he's he's surprisingly technically well-rounded for a player who's been playing the position for two years.
0: Okay, so can you just elaborate on what you mean by
1: swing tackle? Is that just being able to play either side? Or? Yeah, it's basically so people who play like guard or tackles, so like Dennis Daly, is like quite often if you look at like an NFL um, roster, you have the five starters, and if you have backups. The idea is that backups can play multiple of those positions. So like if you look at the Panthers right now, assuming Okung and Moten are the starting tackles, um, uh, Greg Little can only play tackle. I don't think he can play guard at all. So he's just an out-and-out out tackle. Whereas someone like Dennis Daly can play guard and tackle and Taylor Moten can maybe play guard and tackle. So it's someone who's somewhere somewhere between the two. Probably is never going to play left tackle as a result, but it's somewhere between guard and tackle.
0: Congratulations on managing to find players still on the Panthers roster, by the way.
1: <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. quite a skill at the moment, <laughs> I think. E, e, they they are they are about thirty five players short of of the full training camp roster at this point, which is that's that's a lot of people you've got to add between like the end of prime free agency and the season.
0: Yeah, and obviously with everything that is going on, you know, globally at the moment, and and how that's. You know, almost certainly going to affect the start of OTAs and and, and perhaps beyond. um, It's fairly alarming. Yeah, I I don't think uh, it's going to be very good this year. (laughs) Um, We kind of been calling that out from the start, as I think most people are. But I think now we're starting to now some moves are being made. We're starting to see just how
1: right everyone was. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) more right than they. Yeah, I, I I think they there that there's a chance that they look a lot more promising than many are giving them credit for, but I think the idea of them being like an actually competitive team like late in the season, I think unless they get very lucky in the draft, I think the odds of that are really quite low. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well let's um let's cover the Panthers off in a little bit more detail when we've gone through the whole um, offensive line. But so let's move on now then to the God. Mm-hmm. Um not got quite as many to look at here so we'll kick off by talking about let's talk about some of the differences between guard and tackle then so you've given us an overview of of where we are with tackle but so what 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 do you need at guard that that you need perhaps a bit more of or not quite as much of to, to make it there
1: so I think um for for guards obviously the foot speed isn't as important like you need to have foot speed but the foot speed doesn't need to be as good um, and that then allows you to do other things. So I think generally you want a bit more power out of your guards, even if you're running a, uh, a, a, a not a power scheme. But but yeah, you know, there's a big difference between having to control a defensive end who weighs 260 pounds and having to control a nose tackle who weighs 330 pounds. So you, you do need a bit more strength um, and just general power. Um, I think pad level often ends up being... Pad level and arm hand usage, particularly for run blockers, is... Is really really important inside because whereas um, at tackle you can generally get away with just shaping, uh, um, particularly on the sort of outside runs, you know, it, it, as long as the defender doesn't get inside of you, things are generally okay. Um, if that's assuming that's the gap assignment. Whereas for for guards you do have to control blockers a lot more. There's a lot more. Um, for example, if you're a guard and you're working onto a one tech. Um, and allowing the sensor to kick up you need to have the hand usage to control that block um, you, you know it, you can't afford to just you know not let the guy get into the backfield you have to actually control the block and be able to direct the defender so I, I think yeah ha- hand usage and pad level and, and the ability to control blocks inside um, and then also the power to move people I think is far more important but obviously you're able to get that because you're not not asking them to, to be able to cover 15 yards of of open ground in, 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 as a pass protector so yeah there, there's 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 things you need and things you don't need compared to tackle.
0: Okay. Looking at the class, um, someone was saying that it looks perhaps a little bit weaker um, at uh, guard than it does at tackle. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. Yeah, very very much so. I think it's certainly, there, there are a couple of guys who I think are, uh, could be quite good. And I think i certainly, you know, interesting players to add to. Um, and there's a few others who are maybe more, more sort of intriguing sort of mid to late round options, but there's not, there's not the, the, top tier talent in the same way there is a tackle i don't not really not in depth of it anyway and there are probably fewer players who i think can be who have a real shot of being good pros there's probably a lot of maybe a few people who are going to be like decent you know they will start over the course of a career and will be fine but are not players you kind of build your your roster around there are very few players get excited about a card i think i would say
0: okay so let's um start having a look at some then um you've got um Shane Lemieux and uh,
1: Lemieux Lemieux um, I have no idea Solomon,
0: uh, yes and Solomon Kindley as well as probably your top two would you say
1: yeah no I think definitely I, th- I think those two are a, a fair I, I, th- I think there's a reasonable gap between Lemieux and Kindley and then a, a reasonable gap again between Kindley and the next guy um, I don't think either of them are going to be sort of you know um, the greatest guards who ever lived, uh, but I think both of them do a, a reasonable number of nice things. I think should be should be plus players at the NFL level. Um, Lemieux is is interesting because he he shows a lot of really nice things, um, but kind of needs to be a bit more disciplined, particularly in pass protection. But also that was kind of not helped a lot of time by by what Oregon ran offensively. So maybe there that, there's that, some understanding there. Um, he he has actually got quite good power, although he's not the biggest guard. He's got pretty good power, um, and his his pad level is generally pretty good, particularly um in the run game. Um, and, but his hand usage is really good, um, and moves really well in space. Like if you want guards who are going to pull out and play in space, he's really good in that regard. Like he can he he can both you know do do the dirty stuff inside as a as a, as a power generating guard and also go out and play in space. Um, the things I think he needs to work on, I think he he does sometimes get himself off balance, trying to add even more power. And so those would do best to play with a little bit more control. Um, and also in pass protection, I think he's his pad level. He, he has a tendency to rise up as plays go on. And I think that's possibly just a concentration thing that making sure you have the discipline of staying with good knee bend throughout the play. Um But I think he, he could be a really interesting pick, particularly for a for a team that wants to get guard down space in the run game. He could, he could be a real uh, interesting addition. Kindley is more of a like a conventional Inside run blocker, he's not going to play in space um, very much. You know, it isn't sort of the, the, the greatest mover, but has got good power. Arm hand usage is really good, um, and and has enough movement skills and stuff that he he can hold up pretty well as a pass protector. I think he needs he really does need to improve his pad level. Um, not because it's a disaster, but it's just consistently not great. Um, and, and also, there's always the fact that like if you are going to ask him to play in space, that's not something he's going to do well. Um, I, I don't think I'd take either guy into sort of the top 50 picks, M- maybe Lemieux, but but I think both would be like, a, they would upgrade most offensive lines, even if they're not going to be the star of the offensive line.
0: OK, so it sounds like we've then got a bit of a drop off, especially as we've already discussed, this is fairly weak um, as a class. Um, so let's sort of bunch the, the last few guys together. You've got um, Sadiq Charles, John Simpson uh, and Ben Barch that you'd like
1: to talk about. Yeah. So Sadiq Charles is an interesting one because he's kind of um, he, he, probably a bit more developmental, but probably has a higher upside, particularly from like a, a, a big school guy. Um, he, he does need to tighten things up technically. Um, and I think some of that is is probably understandable but but his foot speed is really good um his weight distribution is is pretty good actually when he's not sort of really pushed um athletically uh and he does have the ability to play in space as well he's not the most powerful guard um but he he is probably the the best version of him is probably up there with the other with the best in this class so i think if you were if you were looking for more of a, a, a high upside developmental um, option, he he is probably right up there with this class. I, I think he's probably in the same kind of categories like the Adonichis were at tackle. It's just that in the guard class, that ends up being much higher on the board. So I, I, he's not someone that I think you'd, you'd kind of, if you drafted him in, in the the mid rounds, you probably wouldn't start celebrating. But I think that would be a good pick there. Um, in terms of um, Simpson and Bartsch, um, Simpson's interesting and in, I don't think his his ceiling is super high and there are some things he needs to clean up technically but I think would be a like a a, a passable competent starter um and, and you know th- that that's worth something um you can probably tell this isn't the best guard class um but Barch is Barch is interesting, so he's a come from St John's a really small school guy and he's actually technically pretty well rounded um but he does need to tighten some things up, and he also has a. I mean, there there are some things where he kind of beats himself at times, which are a bit frustrating. Um, but again, you know, obviously coming from a smaller school, that the 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 fact that he needs to tighten things up technically is more understandable. Um, and obviously you therefore have to to trust that that you know he's someone you need to interview because you need to be be confident and you can that you can develop him. Same with same with Teddy Charles, but I think um Charles and Barch are more sort of Higher upside, higher risk picks. Particularly, Bart, I think is a, is really a bit of a swing, um, but but Simpson is probably more sort of never going to be spectacular, but is pretty solid. But again, yeah, this, this is not the deepest guard class.
0: Okay, so um, that wraps up guards, and let's, let's move on quickly from there. There's not much to talk about, um, and we finish off the O-line with the centers. Um, yeah. So we've looked at the skill sets needed for guard and tackle um, already, but how
1: do centers differ? So it does depend a bit from scheme to scheme, as we've kind of seen this year with with Paradise. But obviously, the fundamental difference is they have to snap the ball, um, and the effect there is not just that they have to be able to snap the ball in terms of not snapping the ball badly but also there are the knock-on effects on how that affects the rest of your technique because whereas for guard and tackles you're able to start with your arms in good position for center you have to be able to get your arms in good position pretty quickly because they're not going to start in the right place you have to make sure they end there pretty you know pretty rapidly but there's there's generally less emphasis on power um than there is say at guard understandably so because um you, you generally have the centers are one they're the easiest people to pull because they you, you know there's a natural delay off the snap anyway um but also you generally quite often in the run game that they are they are being helped by a guard Be- you know because they have to snap the ball if there's a one tech on their shoulder you need to make sure the one tech isn't already past them by the time they get their hands up so th- they generally are because they have to snap the ball it's generally the position that gets the most help but if they don't get help, they're the position that needs to be the most technically proficient to deal with the fact that they haven't got any help. So, if, if you're isolating your center one-on-one against a defensive tackle, that that center has to be pretty good. Or um, well, on the flip side, if you don't have an amazing center, you can kind of cover up bits of it by helping them more than you would say a guard. Where if you're having to help a guard, it's harder to do, and also generally is more of a constraint on the on the um, on the offensive line. Whereas whereas sen- center is 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 generally undervalued um, in the, around the NFL, partly because it, it's very hard for a centre to make a massive impact. But there, there's probably people generally tend to look for less athleticism necessarily, but they need to be technically pretty proficient.
0: OK, and is, is there something you said about the difference between um, centre and, and the other positions about the, the connection and the relationship between the quarterback? Because obviously that's the contact point between the ball. Uh, when it's being snapped is is, is there much to that or is that just a case of a centre knows how to do it regardless of who the quarterback is
1: uh it's one of those things where it's quite hard to tell as a universal rule i'm sure there are instances where it 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 does add some value but it's hard to say i mean it's the same thing that people talk about the centers being in charge of the protections and quite often that is the case and and obviously that's something that that if that's something that your scheme does you need to do but it's not something that is inherent in the position You, you know you can have there is no reason why a guard can't be the one setting their protections it's just not normally what happens so it's one of those it's one of those things where there are things that are associated with the center that are not inherent in the position, but are things that, that a lot of teams will ask their centres to do. And so if players can't do that, that then becomes a problem.
0: OK, well, let's um, let's have a look at some of the guys we've got um, at centre here. <laughs> now, um, again, apologies for any uh, pronunciation here, but we've got T- Tyler Biadas That sounds a bit like badass, which is possibly <laughs> the best name in the whole draft we've um, also got um, Lloyd Cushenberry as well
1: yeah so these are my top two guys and I think they're neither of them I think are going to be um, all pros but I think both are, are really quite good players and will be really interesting to 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 see how high they get drafted um, Beardage I think is slightly technically more well-rounded like he does have some issues in terms of his knee bend at times um, but but just you know really good hand usage moves pretty well pretty good power Everything's just technically pretty tight good weight distribution all that kind of stuff um, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a star um, but it would be a he's likely to be a really good center um, a, and is athletic enough that I think would isn't going to be limited in terms of his seating massively in that regard Um is really interesting so his his stance is one of the most interesting things I've seen in this draft from the offensive line because he his knee bend is exceptionally good um but he then also tends to lean forward with his body and it's almost i, I don't know whether he actually do better to maybe not bend his knees quite as much if that allowed him to straighten his back up a little bit but it, it's really interesting he, he plays so low to the ground which is which is in many ways really really good but it's just it's just very interesting to see at times um, there are i will say that, that that the fact that he does play so low to the ground does create some balance issues at times because he almost plays hunched over a little bit So um, so so if if, if um if defensive tackles are able to, he's quite hard to push backwards, but he's quite easy to pull forward sometimes, um, which if defensive tackles are sort of technically more savvy, they're able to work him off balance going forwards and then use that to their advantage, basically pulling him forward, waiting for him to lose his balance and then be able to fling him to one side, which um, Derek Brown did a couple of times in the uh, Auburn game, but but not it's not something that shows up constantly. But uh, yeah, his hand placement's really good. He plays you know good arm usage power's actually not bad for for a center um and he's just foot speed's really good moves really well i think if if you if you want your center to play out in space a lot i think cushionbury is probably better than beard like they are really close together it is basically whether you you prioritize sort of power um or like playing in space and also how how um how much you think you can maybe fix Cushion breeze kind of um, back lean a little bit. If you think you can get him to straighten up a little bit and play maybe a little bit higher, but with a straighter back, um, I think he he then would would vault over Beardash for me. Um, but yeah, but both both really good players. Um, w- it'll be interesting to see. And we'll talk about the Panthers needs a little bit. But I think they're maybe they're both probably going to go a little bit too high if you're if you're not going to start them uh, right away. they may be a little bit too rich for the Panthers, but but they would both be quality starting centers I think almost right away.
0: I mean, just on that, do you think, uh, you know, it, uh, as an NFL team, go look at him and just see straight away? Yeah, he's going to get pulled forward, and any NFL team with any kind of, you know, even basic film room is going to spot that straight away and, and look to stamp it out, or,
1: or perhaps would they see an advantage to that that they could look to exploit? Um, I think that's interesting because I think I think it. it... It does sit, like there are guys who definitely have like known weaknesses, and teams just look to exploit them. Um, but there are other guys who it shows up occasionally. Um, but teams aren't necessarily the best at doing those kind of player by player reviews. I think quite often they focus schematically and they focus on what a player does well. Um, I, I mean, obviously there are teams that do it better than others, but I think yeah, that there are there are definitely players who I think have have weaknesses that maybe haven't been exploited as much as they should have been um and even really good players like um Quentin Nelson is is clearly a very good guard but yeah there was something that showed up watching him on tape uh um, when he was a um at Notre Dame and and has showed up a, f- a few times in the NFL which is that he tends to when he's facing power he has a tendency to lean into it quite a bit so so he almost like braces himself with his upper body and that obviously then puts him off balance slightly and that you've seen um the, the guy who used to play for the, the Jaguars um yeah, Kenneth Campbell, I, I think it was. I'm not sure if it was Kenneth Campbell, but I think it, I think it was Kenneth Campbell. Just you know, there were a couple of times when he played him as a rookie, where he clearly had identified that on tape, and he'd 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 almost like charge at him, like he was about to just bull rush him. Wait for him to dip his head slightly, and then just sidestep him. Um, and and you know, you'd have thought that there are clearly players who do identify these kind of weaknesses and really go and attack them. But it's not something that that I think all teams do as a matter of course. Um. But, but yeah, no I, I think there will be players who, like, Dontari Poe was always really good at the stack and shed as a pass rusher. Um, and I think if he played Cushionbury, I think he might sort of have a pretty good day. But I don't think it's necessarily something that teams will look at that and go, OK, how can we replicate what Poe does well to specifically attack this guy? Because ultimately, you know, you, it's quite hard for, for like defensive tackles to just change their pass rush technique week in, week out, every every game, even if that would actually massively help them
0: yeah I, I mean that to me that sounds almost crazy like you know if'm I'm, if I'm a cornerback, I'm going to be watching tape on the wide receivers you know or, and vice versa. Mm. Um, every single week about the fine margins that can make the, the difference between winning and losing in the NFL. and and yeah, you're right, you know you'd expect the coaches to, to be scheming and to be looking for these things. But I really expect each player to be sort of watching their opposite number on film and, and looking for any kind of competitive advantage. Uh, maybe we're just spoiled with, with all the times we've seen Luke Keekley doing exactly that. And, and we just assume everyone should be able to do it as well as he does. But it seems crazy to me that everyone wouldn't be looking for this, even the smallest little
1: advantage they could exploit. But I, I think Keekley is an interesting one to look at in that case, because so what Keekly did really well was less about like technically looking at what players were doing and looking to exploit them technically, but looking much more about tendencies. And I think that is something that NFL teams do do really well is they look at, you know, if this guy look at they're almost looking for tells a lot of the time. So so particularly if you're, like, say you're a cornerback and you're looking at a receiver, you're looking for how he signals his routes, not in like hand signals or anything like that, but just does he do something that that tells you it's going to be uh this route versus that route like does, does he tip his hand in his routes and that kind of stuff and I think quite often a lot of the opposition scouting is focused around patterns of, of what teams and players do but also trying to mitigate opponent's strengths and trying to like a, a lot of NFL coaching is about doing what you do well I mean it, it's even more extreme in college just because of the way the, the, the structures of, of, of the games but but you don't actually have that much time to to practice each week like it, you know most it, it, even in, in, in almost every sport most teams do roughly the same thing each week they don't reinvent the wheel for each opponent and actually the focus is much more about doing what you do well than it is about trying to change what you do to make the maximum impact against your opponent does that make sense yes yes that
0: does so um thanks for that because yeah it sort of blew my mind just when you're kind of it sounded like you were hinting that players don't really look at that sort of thing but i guess it's not that they're not looking it's just they're looking for something slightly different
1: yeah, yeah i think that's probably a better way of putting it
0: yeah so um let's move on to the final three then um so that's you've got matt hennessy sean pollard and, and nick Harris. are these guys for real developmental sort of day three options then
1: uh i think there's a mixture so actually i think hennessy isn't that far off the the top two i think he, there are more things he has to work on um i think he, he he his pad level is a bit more of an issue than it is for the other two and sometimes his feet can get a little bit clunky but i think he he is also a guy who i think could be a a plus center in in the relatively near future so i think he's he's not as good as the top two but he's sort of in that next step down um pardon harris um are interesting Pollard I think is is limited but I think can be a solid player so he's more I think if he's starting you know he's a starter you probably look to replace but it could be a quality depth piece who could possibly play guard and center potentially so I think he's he's more of like a you know what Greg Van Roten was early in his career before he got starting role where he wasn't the guy but you know if he had to step in and play guard or step in and play center you were fairly happy with with him playing both so I think he's more of like a a high-level depth piece. Harris is a bit more developmental. Um, I think he he needs to be played with much more control. I think is the thing. Like his, both his hands and his feet. It's not that they're he's athletically limited or that they're technically awful. They just they just they're, they're it's really frenetic. He just looks needs to play much more calmly uh, and with much more control and just just focus on on just making things simple for himself rather than trying to do too much. I think I would also say there are some other guys who are getting a little bit of love love at a center um Jake Hansen and Caesar Ruiz are my next two guys just I know it's probably worth mentioning because they've been around a bit um I think again the Hansen is a bit similar to in that I don't think he's ever going to be a star but could probably be a pretty good backup center and if he does start he's not going to be a disaster Ruiz I think is is more of the absolute swing from the heels developmental pick um so that he shows you know good foot speed and power but technically it's just all over the place a lot of the time. So I, I think that there are more interesting options. Like, it, you know, I think the top three for me are a bit of a step apart, but but sort of Pollard, Harris, Hanson and Ruiz, there's something for everyone there in terms of, you know, either immediate impact, quality, like competent, either quality depth or competent starting. And then all the way through, so like the Ruiz, which is kind of, you know, could be a star, but it's going to probably take at least a year to get to get everything sorted. So I I, I think it's, it's, it's a bit like tackle where there's a few guys who are like a step apart from everyone else. I just don't, I don't think that, it, that there's quite the same upper tier quality as there is at tackle. But but yeah, it's, it's sort of like a two-tiered centre class in that regard.
0: Cool. So before we move on to the Panthers, um, is there anything you just want to touch on uh, around the whole class in general? Or do you you think you've you covered everything off? Are there any final thoughts on it?
1: Um, yeah, I, I I think it's one of those things where there's, there is, I think it's different in each position, but there is really a gap between like the top guys and the rest. And I think, you know, there is a chance that one of the top guys falls a bit, in which case they suddenly become great value. And maybe, you know, if, if, if Josh Jones at tackle falls to the second round, I think he's excellent value there. But, but, but there is a chance that essentially the good offensive linesmen have gone by pick 50 and actually the next tier downs don't start to become good value until about pick 100 for example and I think the not just the Panthers but all teams but obviously particularly the Panthers would would, would do well to not not reach on offensive lines and once the good guys have gone then you have to wait and just see who is left of the next tier when they start to become good value rather than trying to prioritize you know I wouldn't if you have um, Adoniji an EG slightly higher than than pert say or, or the other way around. I wouldn't draft per around higher than I would Niji. So, you know, I'm not going to start taking per like 60th overall if I know Adaniji is going to be there at 120, say. Like the, the gap between them, once you get outside the top guys, it's more about who's there at the right time than who is the best of those players, if that makes sense. So I, I yeah, I would be a bit cautious about, unless you think someone's fallen massively, drafting an offensive lineman anywhere from like the, the, the late second through to sort of the early fourth round, I think that, that could be an area where offensive linesmen get drafted for need and probably get overdrafted.
0: Yeah, now we've already touched on just how much work the Panthers have to do in, in terms of recruitment. Um, with, with that in mind, do you, do you see them spending some draft capital on, on the offensive
1: line? Or, or is it something that's just way down the backing order right now? Um, I think they should. I mean, it, it, it's, I think they've, the trade for a Kung um, probably means they don't have to draft a tackle. Um, at least they don't have to draft someone who is a, a specific tackle. Where I think they do have a need is is on the interior, which I think comes in sort of two two forms. The first is I think while they do now mathematically have two players who can play guard, um, they would do better to have more than two players who can play guard. Um, so I think like Miller, they brought in um, as, a, as a free agent and, and Daily. And they do also have um, Reed, I think his name is, who's sort of a someone who who was on the roster towards the end of last year. Like they, they, they do have some bodies at guard, but I think if they're gonna if they're gonna spend a high pick on, on an offensive line I think it's someone who maybe not is a specific guard, but can definitely play guard. Um I think one one name that I think would be quite interesting, particularly if they traded down in the first round, say, uh, is Josh Jones from from Houston because I think he he kind of fills two needs or at least anyone who can play guard and tackle would fill two needs in that the Panthers need guard help in the short term, I think. You know, whilst Miller and Daly would be an okay starting pair, I think you could probably, you know, it'd be nice to have a better, you know, at least another serious option at guard. Um, But Okung and Moten are both free agents after this year. And while I think Greg Little is probably going to be the the person who gets the shot to play left tackle um, if and when Okung leaves, I, I think whether Moten comes back is still really up in the air like he's shown some nice things but also hasn't really continued to develop a huge amount and maybe he makes another step this year and that kind of becomes a, a silly question but if you could find someone who plays guard in the short-term attack in the long term I think that would be a a really um useful addition for the Panthers I think the other thing they need to do is, is just add depth particularly on the interior that you know I, I thought Tyler Larson was really really poor last preseason um and didn't and still made the roster because there wasn't really an alternative but I think adding someone who can play center not to start necessarily but who can who can who can challenge to be the backup and potentially offer a long-term option at center um I think that would be useful but i I think like with much of the the roster the Panthers just need to add more talent on the offensive line like for for too long it's been a bit patchwork and again this offseason it feels a bit patchwork and it would be it would be really nice if, say, in a year's time, you're not going right. Well, we've lost another two starters, so we've got Greg Little. Okay, he's going to move in and start left tackle, but who's playing right tackle and who's playing left guard? And yeah, you know, I, I think you you they, they need to start just adding talent on the offensive line, and then hopefully in, in a year's time, you can be a bit more strategic about how you look to fill the remaining gaps. But but yeah, this this is a roster that just needs talent it, more so than any position. Need it just needs talent.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think as you just said, you know, the whole roster pretty much needs it, and, and um, but this is obviously going to be a key position for it. I think right now, it's, it's it, you know, like you said earlier, what worries me is just the lack of bodies that <laughs> that are there. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you put so many bodies that have talent in? Because that you know, talent is obviously expensive, and we've got. I you know, know. It's a time when you, you can't meet people face to face anymore. You know, it, it feels like we're going to be going into to OTAs hugely light
1: here. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not totally convinced OTAs are going to go ahead as normal. So it, 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 I think what well, the, 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 the coronavirus outbreak sort of works two ways in that one, it will you know make it harder for them to sort of analyse players and scout talent and all that kind of stuff, but it will also likely push the the time when you absolutely need bodies down the road a little bit so they maybe have a bit more time than they would have done in other years in that regard as well um but i i would expect the panthers to go really big as on udfas i think one of the frustrations i've had in the last few years is the panthers haven't signed a ton of udfas and partly that's because you're competing and there just isn't the space on the roster and stuff but i think this year i wouldn't be surprised one i'm going to keep saying this but like if you trade down and add picks if you're rebuilding that makes a lot of sense um, but also just, I wouldn't be surprised if the Panthers brought in 15, 20 UDFAs. And sure, 15 of them might be terrible, but if you get five competent to good players out of UDFAs, that's really good value. And you just you just need to take chances on players, I think. I think. I think that's one of the things the Panthers have done relatively well in free agency, is that rather than going for known competence, they have taken some chances on some players who maybe might not be particularly good, but have more of a chance of being pleasant surprises. And if you look at the last kind of rebuild the Panthers did well, where sort of this was sort of the the around the sort of the 2014 2015 seasons, you know, bringing in Kirk Coleman, bringing in Michael Ur, uh, who'd kind of sort of flamed out a little bit in in Tennessee um, and and Baltimore before that, uh, but uh, you know Ted Ginn revitalizing his career, but taking chances on players who hadn't really got a shot, but who you had an idea of how they could be used, and I think that's that's something the Panthers could do well, not just in terms of maybe they had a few more free agents before the draft and stuff, but but with UDFA's and with with, with draft picks, just Looking at players who who have talent and who you have some idea of how that talent might manifest, and maybe they aren't the sort of the plug and play conventional you know safety or the plug and play conventional tight end that the other teams might be looking for. One advantage of being bad is that you have needs pretty much everywhere, and you can just add talent and add talent, and then in a year or two's time, you then start working at how to build that talent into a coherent roster. But I think in the short term, just just anyone who you think could be a good NFL player, take a chance on. And, and reevaluate where you are in a year's time because that there, there's no way that you're going to kind of build a roster by sort of adding four or five players in off season and expecting, you know, that's effectively effective what the Panthers did the first, you know, in, in the early 2010s and stuff. You would get sort of three or four good players each off season, and that just never created enough bodies that you had a depth of talent to allow you to compete consistently. And the Panthers would just do better to add as many competent to good players as they can and then go from there.
0: cool good stuff i think that just about wraps us up for this episode then
1: um what are we going to be looking at next time uh the interior defensive line is the the plan for next time okay so we're gonna
0: split the the d line out are we
1: yeah yeah
0: okay just just a lot more bodies to cover i guess so um thanks very much Vincent um that was uh, a really good insight across the offensive line. Um, please do subscribe, like, comment, review and all that sort of stuff wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, do also give us both a follow on Twitter. I'm at At uh, Vincent, where can people get in touch with you?
1: I am at v richardson 444
0: Thank you very much. Uh, that's all from us this time. Uh, I'd just like to take this opportunity to urge you all to follow the advice on social distancing Um, and while you're doing so do check out the right networks podcasts there's a hell of a lot of content out there to keep you entertained and keep washing your hands but above all please do stay safe and stay healthy and we do hope that you'll join us next time
1: on the great british drafting show thank you Bye.